Calumet, Colorado, population 8,200. Before the sun sets, foreign soldiers will march victorious through the streets. School students will take to the mountains, fight for freedom, and become a symbol to unite America. Not bad for a bunch of kids. Wolverines! Red Dawn, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, August 10th. Check newspapers for a selected theater near you. David, you actually like to just scream, right? Isn't that a like kind of a hobby? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing I do. I try all different kinds of screams. Yeah, and people uh, in, people in here at Recon Cinema Studios they often have a reaction to that, and we're just nope. It's David's screaming hour. He just yeah. screams from two thirty-seven to three thirty-seven every Thursday, and that's how it goes. Things got easier for everyone when we started scheduling it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that helped. Yeah. Isn't that so. a thing like in Japan or maybe it's Canada? I forget. They have like screen boxes. Like you could just walk in and they're maybe. like soundproof boxes you could just like go into and yell. Maybe maybe they should Japan. spread to other countries outside of that. I mean, sounds like a good idea. I could open a shop. Yeah. D- David's screen screaming shop. shop. Yeah. Screaming deep. Imagine you walk right off the street, you go into a soundproof booth and scream your fucking head off. And no one hears yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm making that up, but I might be. <laughs> I'm sure it's a thing. It's maybe completely I it, true. Maybe I saw maybe it on Black Mirror or something. I don't <laughs> know. Yeah, that's a dark future. Yeah, we're square on Independence Day, and thinking about Independence happy Day. Fourth. Happy fourth. Yeah, happy fourth. Uh, I recalled our uh, earlier days together when we were resistance fighters, and. You know, reminding me of how we we met and all came together, and then once once that conflict ended, we decided to start a podcast empire and, and a movie studio. So uh, here we are, and uh, also having just recently talked about Conan the Barbarian, and which was directed by John Milius, that and our Resistance Fighter past coming together. Only we could only be talking about one movie to celebrate Independence Day this year, <laughs> and that yeah, Red Dawn. Very excited! Red Dawn. Wow, here we go. So with Finally. that, Holy welcome cow. back, welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner, and I am David Munchak, and I'm Brent Hutchins, and this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films. From the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we're checking out how they hold up today, and yeah, exciting day. This is uh, this is a top shelf uh, film for me. So I, I'm, I've been wanting to talk about it for this whole time. As we start, as we're you know we're we're just at the beginning of year four, finally coming around to Red Dawn. What do you what? Do you, where's this movie for you guys? Uh, go ahead, go ahead, David. You first. Oh, uh, uh, this was a movie I didn't see until like five years ago. So I, oh, I don't don't have any fond kind of I don't have any fondness for it. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what you think about it as we get further into the podcast. Because sure, I think that that would be an interesting perspective to see this movie more recently. So mm-hmm. un- unlike you, David, I saw it. I can't even remember. I was a child though. 
it's one of the, it's honestly one of the first movies I, I, I remember loving as a kid. You know, it, I grew up in the age of cowboys and Indians, although I don't think that that is uh, the way we say it anymore. But it, no. it, as as I grew up and this movie came out, it, it turned into USA versus the Russians, all all fueled by the by the Cold War. And this movie was like uh, definitely something that I that I loved as a kid. Now growing, grown as as I've grown up, I I I'm on the fence about a lot of it. But as a kid, for sure, it was uh, it was uh, one of those movies that I adored. Do you uh, do you remember seeing it? Like where you saw it? Was it like a VHS? Was it on TV? Did did you for any reason catch this in the theaters? I definitely didn't catch it in the theaters. I certainly saw it at home, but I don't remember exactly the first place I saw it. But I do know. One of the places I saw it was at a summer camp that I went to. It was like a it was like a day sports camp and it was raining that day. I'm talking like kids, like we were all like eight or nine years old sitting inside like a gymnasium and they wheeled out the old VCR and TV on a cart and put this movie on of all movies. Like, why would you show this movie to a bunch of kids? Oh man, that's what that's what it was like growing up in Texas, though. That is insane that they, they would pick Red Dawn to show yeah. eight and nine-year-olds as your rainy day movie. Yeah, <laughs> unreal. I mean, it's a great rainy day movie, but maybe not in that setting. No, I mean, it's so strange. I mean, I've had a couple strange rainy day movies, but this one definitely takes the cake. <laughs> yeah, I rem- our, our, so at camp uh, where I went to, uh, Summer Trails Day Camp, that was uh, the rainy day movie every year. For the entire time I was there and including when I was a counselor was like probably 13 or 14 years, but every rainy day was meatballs too. Oh my God. Okay. Torture. That's... Oh my Torture. God. <laughs> Torture. Is that the one with the alien? Yes. Yeah. And the boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally weird. And why we could watch nothing but meatballs too. I don't know. We would have multiple rainy days, you know, each year. So this was probably a forced meatballs two viewing of like maybe eight times. Crazy. That's that's eight too many. That's that's definitely eight too many. I've never seen meatballs two, but there's no way I'd line up to see it that ever. So I feel <laughs> yeah, well, lucky. One meatballs was... one didn't want you coming back for more, huh? <laughs> one was Bill Murray. Two was this one uh, with I think Richard Mulligan was in it. Three was, was that the one with Corey Feldman and Corey Haim? The Corys were in one. It was either Meatballs 3 or Meatballs 4. Maybe that's they four. lost me with the alien. Once yeah. I just that I saw that. I don't think I saw the third one. Did it get too weird? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> meatballs just went jump jumping the shark. Jump I just the shark. Keep up, keep up after that. So I would have I would have definitely taken Red Dawn for sure over Meatballs 2 as our rainy day movie, but still weird to show kids. Yeah. Seven year olds. Like a room full of seven-year-olds. Yeah, that's hey, um, kids gather around. We're gonna watch so much blood. Red Dawn. There's so much yeah. blood. So much blood. So much killing. So much not appropriate for kids. So much paranoia. Like you, you yeah. would look out the window. And they, well, that could happen right now. And that—that's yeah. one of the things about the movie. But yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I remember my first time viewing this very vividly because this is one of the very first movies i ever saw so 
it's this it's star wars and blade runner were and probably like bambi are, are, are the my very first movie memories there's a mix yeah right <laughs> uh i remember going to uh or no this was not at my cousin bobby's house this was my parents had a bunch of people over and i remember vividly that opening credit sequence with the music and the going through the clouds and everything that that was just like whoa like i i was like honing into like what what is this movie about here is it about ships is it about you know jets nope certainly not about that uh and then the opening sequence with uh where the school is attacked was just haunting to me oh yeah that sunk in there as probably multiple times a week that image would pop in my head in school like what if that just happened what if that happened right now yeah yeah absolutely scary and then uh, I remember the ending very vividly, too, that I was really, really sad, really sad with what happens to Matt and Jed. What what does their future hold, if anything? Mm-hmm. Do they live? Do they die? Uh, I was a big fan of the machine. So uh, I was upset at that ending as a kid. But um, yeah, so, so many questions, so many questions for a young John. Yeah, yeah, and and probably many others. So, so this yeah. was a very, uh, I don't know, I guess a seminal movie in in my uh, my upbringing. Yeah. Damn. Wow. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Here we are talking about it. Here we are talking talking the dawn. Uh, all right, Brent. You kind of touched on it. It's. Growing up, I think you and I, I I'm guessing we kind of agree here that you know, we had one perspective on this movie as a kid and Mm -hmm. through our whatever teenage, maybe into college years, but now living our adult lives and, and seeing, you know, the more political side of things and a different perspective. uh, Yeah. Really changes things for this movie. This is obviously a movie that is very like pro second amendment. And, you know, that's an extremely heated topic these days. Uh, You know, there's very, uh, very divisive arguments on both sides of the, of the line. And, you know, this, this movie, I mean, this movie at the time was, I don't, I mean, I, I can't say that it wasn't intended to, to, to be all hoorah uh, for it, but it certainly landed there. And, you know, I mean, at the time when it was made, you know, the, the, the cold war was a real deal, you know, like people were scared. I, I read an article that, when they were filming this movie, one of the paratroopers from the from the the opening scene flew off course and landed in somebody's tree. And they like it took him some time to convince them that he was not an actual Russian and that he was shooting a movie. Like people were worried that this type of thing was going to happen all the time. And so, like when you watch it from an '80s perspective, like in in rooted in that and and the Cold War, like. I did find it extremely entertaining and, and exciting, but then, you know, you, you look at it through the lenses of today and everything that's kind of happened and, and the arguments that are on both sides, it's just, you know, like, it's just one of those things. It's, it's very delicate. And, uh, you know, I think that there are good arguments on both sides for that, but it's like very, very politicized at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, just to kind of recap it real quick for those listening who maybe haven't watched the film in a while. It is about the uh, set. It's actually I think the movie actually takes place in 1989. It's a 1984 release, but 
I believe it is supposed to be. It's kind of only Very subtly near future. Yeah, near future. So um, it is about the invasion of America by a combination of Russians and Cubans and probably some other, uh, possibly the Mexican government as well, uh, just invading the U.S. and and starting World War III. And this small town in Colorado this band of teenagers and young adults uh, hiding off in the woods and building a resistance movement uh, called the Wolverines. So the, th- the threat of that, you have to go back, really go back to, to the early 80s and that the intensity of the Cold War and what that was like, because I don't think, you know, kids today, we have obviously many different conflicts and wars going on, but, but it's different. It's not quite that constant threat and worry and, you know, potential for, I mean, after, look at the Cuban missile crisis where, right. you know, you have missiles sitting in Cuba aimed at the U S that could be, you could go at any moment. And ever since then there was that threat that was always there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that many younger people today understand how close we were to going to war at that time, like, like during the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Bay of Pigs and all that, like it was, it was like, we were on the brink of, yeah. of basically what a lot of people consider could have been World War III. Absolutely. At, at any moment. I mean, it's, it's, and that's part of what I respect so much about this film is that it really just embraces that head on that fear and just oh, like, yeah. this is what could happen. Uh, you know, and, and I do think, we'll get into this in a little, a little bit more as we dive into it, but I think the movie's fairly realistic. I mean, in that there's nothing totally unbelievable that happens in it. You, you could, you could believe that these characters would do this. You could believe, you know, they're not, I don't know, you know, they're not like doing anything that's completely, they couldn't have learned to do through, you know, the battles that they were fighting. It's a, to me, I, I do feel like it's a be- somewhat believable story in the context yeah. of what it's trying to do. I mean, sure. It's a it's a bit of a reach that, you know, there would be an invasion in the middle of America that could get to the point that it that it did. Like, and what is the strategic need to take Colorado? Yeah. You know, so I yeah. mean, like, there's there's like there's some logistics, like, okay, it's a little bit of a reach and doesn't make a lot of sense, but it makes for a damn good story. And, and what ensues and the whole survival aspect and the fighting back and the, and the kind of the, the rebel, the rebellion of the, of the youth against, you know, the, the invasion. Like, I think all that is, is pretty interesting and these small kind of guerrilla warfare skirmishes uh, that kind of, you know, we roll from one to the next to the next. Like, yeah, absolutely. If this was going to go down, this is probably how you would have to combat that, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and we'll, we're definitely going to circle back about the, I don't know, the logistics of, of what's happening here and how Colorado's involved. And <laughs> I don't know. I just overall, I, I didn't really, I didn't used to view it as a, a right, a strictly kind of right wing film. Uh, now I see it a lot more. Um, so I don't know, but it didn't. It, it never really bothered me until until now. So I don't know, David. What do you think about? It? You you feel like it's a like a right wing propaganda film? 
Oh no. Um, I mean, I think it's got that, that patriotic kind of, you know, early eighties, you know, kind of feel that, you know, is more embraced, I guess, these days as part of the conservative and right, right wing thing. Um, I mean, I'm kind of with you guys, like with the fact that like this movie seems realistic, like there's no Hollywood uh, action involved. It's um, I think, you know, purposefully it's not, doesn't really glamorize things, although it does once the once the Wolverines start getting really good at, you know, their war tactics, you know, you, you kind of see like precision based, you know, um, activities going on. So something that you'd you'd want to see in a war movie where, where it's kind of like pro pro U.S. troops, pro, you know, American forces, all that. You, you show the precision, you show how good they are, what they do. Um, so I thought of, but I, I did. Yeah, I, I kind of with you that it's like. This is kind of you could kind of see yourself as one of them if 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 you had to be like you would have right you joined forces with them you learn how to do what you're doing and you know I don't know so um, I didn't you know I didn't see this as like I don't see it as like a it I don't think it's made with the purpose to be pro Second Amendment or pro um, yeah pro like right wing even necessarily I mean I think it's playing on sort of this alternative future uh thing i mean you know you, you we got a uh we got some text in the beginning to show like the further destabilization of other countries which would have led right. to something like this where the opportunity to take america would have come with the further destabilization of our allies so this this is the the idea is the u.s has no allies that so we're just a we're just this country by itself this gigantic land so that that that's the whole point is like and I think the movie's trying to be more realistic of like, this is kind of what would need to happen for, for, for countries to decide to invade America. Sure. Like America has countless allies um, and always did. So it was always that, that threat of our, of our, of our forces. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it play, I think it's because it's, it's of its time of that, of, of that fear of the cold war. I, I, I see it. I think if I did see this as like as a kid, uh, I'd probably be into it. Like I'd like it. Like I think it like would make sense um, because it's easy to buy into how America's great and Russians and commies <laughs> are bad, and you know. Um, but it's uh, and I, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being afraid of like the bombs, bombs dropping or troops invading or anything like that. I never really had that fear. Like, and kids today, kids have kids run fucking drills in their schools in case one of their own co- comes to kill yeah, them. No. I mean, like, kids yeah. are more scared of very realistic shit yep, than that's true. Than yep. we, than our generation, we, we were kind of like in between the bomb dropping and school shootings. Like that, that we were our yeah, our, our our generation like basically avoided that. Um, well, we were we were in college when Columbine happened, so yeah. we were already out of grade school. So you're exactly right. We were literally right. I, we got into grade school pretty much right when those you know bomb drills were were stopping. So we were sandwiched right in in between. So I guess we're the privileged ones. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, like, but like this, I don't see this as like I'm I'm kind of disgusted by pro like gun violent things. I like, I like gun violence and as stylized gun violence and shit like that. Um, but like this is not kind of, you love wanted. 
wanted, wanted to cur- oh. curve the bullet. <laughs> curve the bullet. <laughs> the bullet. Shit like face off is cool. Cool gunplay. Ooh, face off. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good, interesting movie. Hmm. Um, think about that one. But like, I I saw John Wick uh, recently, and I think it's a disgusting movie. I hate it. I absolutely love that oh, movie. I, I think it's the movie. worst thing I've ever seen. And I used I used to I love action movies. Love it. That's just straight up horror, like murder porn. I hate it. I think it's really stupid. I I appreciate that other people like it. I'm not gonna. Oh like my it. gosh. Yeah, horror, I'm a, I'm it's a, a horror show of, of the John Wick uh, franchise. Yeah, I, I was, I was so disappointed because everyone said how amazing it is, and I'm like, I hate this movie. I hate it. All he did was just. That's fair, though. I mean, the thing is, if if, if I, I bet if I had seen it going in, having it been all hyped and like, whoa, I probably would have had a a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I saw that movie completely blind yeah i saw it at the theater no one had talked about anything you know like hadn't been a deal so i felt like oh wow i found this action movie that is so much better than what people would have expected it's so weird that i don't like it i don't know um but uh but like sort of like this the red dawn gun violence is you know this is like opposing forces and and surviving and and it's brutal and the repercussions of taking a life are explored like and when it's when it's an enemy and when it's your ally i mean this is some deep shit <laughs> well, yeah and and we're going to we're going to circle back to john millius here shortly but he you know after the movie came out and, and this movie got kind of railroaded as this you know right wing propaganda film uh, then and still to this day he defended it and he he claims it is an anti-war movie, which I kind of agree with that he's showing you the horrors of war in a different way than like a private Ryan did. But, um, you know, there's emotional context to these characters and yes, not all of them are deeply explored of what their backstory is and who they are as people, but they're a team and you see that they're they're Each of their deaths means something. And, you know, piled in with that, you know, wh- that scene with the first time they kill those, they, they, they battle the, you know, Russian soldiers and they, you see how they're struggling with, they're like awkwardly killing the way they kill those guys is very ugly and, you know, messy. And to me, that's realistic of what death, you know, fights to the death are really like, it's not glamorous, it's ugly and bullets don't always go where they're meant to go. And, you know, like arrows don't necessarily kill you right away. And, and that struggle that, and it's all without, without dialogue. When, when Jed walks up to that kid, basically, who's die, already shot and dying in the, in the uh, driver's seat of the Jeep. And you see him like just emotionally struggling with having to do this. And he, and he does it. But then you see Ron O'Neill's character, who's I think what a colonel in the Cuban army. That right. how he is so like he doesn't want to be there and he wants to be anywhere but there. And we always see that from the American soldier side, but rarely do you actually see that from the from the quote unquote villain. So you know you're sympathetic to this guy who's like forced to do this war he wants really doesn't want any part of. And I, I don't know I I saw that side of it of it being 
not promoting war, that it's it's saying quite the opposite, but it's sort of disguised in this rah-rah America thing, you know? I mean, there's, I mean, you know, there's obviously like, I think that's valid for sure. Like it, it does certainly show kind of the dark side of, of war and, you know, and, and all of that, but it's, it's hard to get away from, you know, what the right wing uh, second amendment loving group who, who rallied around the movie got out of it as well. You know, like it definitely checks a lot of those boxes that, that feeds into, to, um, to that thought process. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it probably fits a, you know, as most interesting movies that ask a lot of questions do it fits, it fits in a, in a bunch of different, uh, arguments, but, but, you know, like this one, this one just happens to be very much like rooted in, and kind of a preparedness survival, uh, package that, that really fits, uh, you know, that, that, um, that argument. So, yeah, I'll tell you this too, when September 11th happened and Brent, you and I were together at that time. Yeah. Uh, I thought about this movie. I mean, we were we were in New Mexico, New Mexico. Yeah, and, I remember, man. It was crazy. And obviously everyone has their uh memories and versions of what what happened uh, to them and how they were feeling on that day. But I remember thinking like in that that those few hours where nobody knew what was going on and are there more attacks coming? Like what what is happening here and that that period of real questions? like what if like this is a red dawn thing happening i'm like me and brent and our group of friends can like literally go do exactly what they did and we'll go up in the mountains in new mexico and like defend ourselves up there and yeah. uh i had this we're, very we're gonna, throw, we're gonna throw birkenstocks at them instead of <laughs> instead of bullets because we went you know no one we'll get our, our our college hippie buddies and yeah yeah that'll do it Man, I remember, I remember that morning. I remember you walking in and, and, and like kind of waking me up and saying, Hey man, you know, we're, we're at like getting attacked. We're at war. And I was like, what are you talking about? You explained it all. And then we went directly to the school and started like just hanging out with, with our friends and watching the news and then being pulled into the auditorium where they uh, were talking about, you know, possible other attacks and other locations that they thought would be like of interest for being attacked. I mean, it was, that, that day was uh, intense. It was an intense day. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were worrying about Los Alamos that we were, yeah. you know, fairly close to that. And if that was a target, what does that mean for us? And obviously a strange day for everybody there, but this movie was going through my yeah. head that day. <laughs> so I did Absolutely. have a, I did have a bit of my girlfriend at the time woke me up and came over and said, Hey, wait, uh, Hey Dave and walked on my door. And I'm like, what, what? She's like, Oh, you don't know. The Pentagon's been bombed. And then she said something probably like, and planes have crashed into the world trade center and planes and other planes are hijacked or something like that. And all I, when she said planes ran into the thing, I was imagining enemy planes and I was imagining like, bomber planes hitting the Pentagon and stuff like that. And I had this whole like, holy shit. And I was living in Philadelphia um, for school and uh, that's where we were. And uh, for a brief second, but I didn't, I never had read Dawn to sort of flash to, to like, yeah, I don't think I've ever, ever thought of what an invasion on America would look like, but for, 
I don't know, for a good 10 seconds, I started to, to think about it and, and what, what this means. And when we didn't know anything, and then we just watched the news and watched the towers fall. And it was like awful, like Horrible. just the ops, absolute horror. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's crazy uh, to think about actually growing up. I thought an invasion on America would look like what red Dawn looked like. And then what it ended up looking like is what nine 11 was. And that's, yeah very different but but still you know terrifying yeah well red dawn was the i don't know the only visual guide i think that was realistic that we had to work with (laughs) for if something like that were to happen so well this this movie and us as americans i think it's we're a privileged nation and there's plenty of modern uh countries and cities that have been bombed and invaded and continue to be creating a refugee crisis all over the globe. I mean, like we're just, we're just lucky that we're the power, the superpower that we are because it hasn't happened yet, you know, but like for something to happen for, for have people to flee where they live and watch their fellow citizens be killed or bombed or whatever. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen here. Um, but there's plenty of plenty of places that it continues to happen. And it's like, so we sit here and think of like, Oh my God, could you even imagine? It's like, it's happening. It continues to happen. It's ha- it's happened for a hundred years. <laughs> like, um, it's, ha- it's always happened, you know? And it's just, um, it's kind of this weird place to like, think about this movie in the context of like, kind of how good we have it. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, if we made if we made some enemies, I don't know. It, it's possible that other countries could muster their forces, and but it'd be, I mean, I mean, it'd be so hard and to yeah. to launch an attack on U.S. soil, like in 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 any kind of significant, like is shown in Red Dawn. You know, like something yeah. like that just would be really uh, next to impossible to happen. Our military might is so incredibly great compared yeah. to to anything in our technology and our surveillance like yeah. i mean i know there are a lot of things about the world and especially america right now where people are like divided on stuff but like i feel like all that stuff aside like i feel super safe you know like mm-hmm. i mean i know i know there are things anywhere that any day could be a bad day and things could happen and there's a lot of angry people with a lot yeah. of bad motives out there doing stuff but those are all like horribly nasty one-off incidents that just continue to to happen but like any kind of great massive attack coming from another country like i just that seems so impossible to happen well and that's why we have that's why i don't we shouldn't be talking about i any attack on america happens from within and yeah. whatever outside influences that can can make that happen um, have been doing that. So yeah, we're we you know we just need to continue to be uh, vigilant, good citizens, and, and <laughs> hopefully we, you know we good choices will come from the the people who who are our leaders and will protect us. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Red Dawn is a movie with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's in this movie? Let's get back to the machine. <laughs> no, um, all right. Cycling, circling back to the plot. So 
we talked about those opening cards where they kind of set the table of how this might even be able to, to happen. Does that, did that all make sense to you guys? I'm just curious if maybe David, this is maybe a little bit more for you seeing it more from the modern perspective. Did that fly with you? Did could you buy that or is that just totally unrealistic? Yeah, you you have to set this up with an an alternative future where things have gotten so bad around the planet without and and America has lost all of its allies. So it sets it up very distinct. Like which I think is part of which I think is a great part of this because if if you didn't do that and then it's just sort of playing on this fear that America can be invaded at any time. This movie sets up like look, things would have to get so bad elsewhere and and uh, people would have to rise to power in other countries that we are fr- afraid of them doing. Um, and so I, I think this at least pr- like this, this creates the fantasy of this. Like, I think it's less rest. The actual scenario is less realistic than um, I mean, obviously today, but back then this, that would have been the do- like a domino effect of like, if certain things happened in a certain way, it could have happened in the eighties. Who knows? You know, um, but I think I think it was necessary, and I'm glad it was there because otherwise I would be like, this is this this would be like, America rocks, kill everyone, f the commies, f the Cubans, like you know, yeah. So at least this yeah. is sort of a, and it's it's very tiny way sets up the politics, which doesn't concern the citizens. It doesn't concern the Wolverines. They're just trying to survive. Like right, and that right, and that's the point of like most of this shit is like, it's 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 people in power you know governments in power forcing the citizens to fight each other and um you know that's that's what the story is mainly concerned about at least it explains though how they got in this situation yeah i i always felt like that made sense to me i bought that 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 setup of everything mm-hmm. which takes about you know 45 seconds to just lay out <laughs> yeah but um yeah i was just curious if if it worked for you uh so all right. Obviously, this is set in Colorado. So Colorado is not a, a, a coastal uh, state, if I if my memory serves correct. Uh, it's not currently on the coast, is it? Currently, not no. currently. No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it was in 80, 83, Not 84. not in the eighties either. Nope, <laughs> not the eighties either. It. Um, so how would this happen? Why why would they invade this small town in Colorado? And I think that's one of the big questions that people have and think this movie is sort of bullshit because of that. That's one of the reasons they think it's bullshit. I disagree. I always saw that as like they've invaded, they've gotten everything else. Like they've invaded California. You know, they've come already come through that far that quickly. See, I you know, didn't get I didn't get that. I thought they explained it in the movie that they they were coming up the middle to like they were coming from Mexico, I think. Yeah, divide like basically split the split the US and and separate their their communication and trade trade routes, basically, like <laughs> for lack of a better term. Like yeah. It, is, am I misremembering that? Like, no, I think you're I, I think you're correct. Like, I think Powers Booth uh kind of lays it out there when right. he comes into the film but yeah i think they're they come up from mexico and they base to to me i always read it that like they've just they've gotten that far that quickly that it's not just they're just coming in the middle and trying to like attack from 
the center outwards because obviously that would be one of the worst military ideas well, only yeah. like darth vader up, and the empire could do that <laughs> and to come up to, to i mean i guess did they come up through mexico and new mexico and yeah i don't know because to come through texas is going to be tough travels yeah i don't think you'd want to start there yeah that's not where <laughs> you want to start your war <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know. That's I think that's uh, one thing that bumps a lot of people about this movie is just why, why here? Like, A, why is it either set in Colorado or B, like you need to explain more of how, how why they're targeting this area. But yeah. that didn't, I don't know, that didn't bother me. So I mean, I think the reason I, I never really questioned it too much is because I think it adds to the kind of the terrifying nature of of it happening right like oh they didn't attack one of the coasts where you think that they they would but they attacked right in the middle like how did they attack right in the middle and get past all that stuff what it does is it 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 it, it sets the tone for they could get you anywhere right, right. like and yeah. that's that's what allows it to to resonate with anybody who's watching it from any state from any any place in, in america it's like oh well they got to colorado you know, like they could get me here. So, yeah. 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 And sometimes I don't know. That's, this is the story. Sometimes just go with it too. I mean, how often, if you're, you're watching the walking dead, like how often do you just sit there and think about, well, like, how did this happen? Why did it happen? It doesn't matter. It's happening. Like this is, this is the story where we're at. This is where we're meeting these characters and, you know, either go with it or don't. So, yeah. I'm going to say counter argument to that is you're talking zombies versus a military kind of takeover. One could be based in reality. One has no <laughs> chance of being based in reality. Well, we don't I know. don't know. That's we don't. Not know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk a little, let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the movie itself and the making of and how, how this came to be. So, uh, did you know that this the original script was written by Kevin Reynolds, who is Brent? He directed your favorite movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. No, Ooh. I thought you were going to say something else, but <laughs> you surprised me. Water, Waterworld. Uh, didn't he write Waterworld? Yeah, he did both. Yeah. Okay, Ooh. that's that one. That one I knew, which is also not one of my favorite movies, but <laughs> I did Prince, know that one. Prince of Thieves, though, I kind of want to watch that again. <laughs> That's a movie. I, that's a movie. That, that's a movie. That's the one with the. What's the song? It's oh, the song. the Brian the Brian, Brian Adams. Adams yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Classic. Can't beat that. Yep. The 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 theme to every uh, junior high dance uh, for like <laughs> yeah. twenty years or something. Kevin yeah. Costner sometimes has an accent. Sometimes he doesn't <laughs> have an accent. It just depends. Christian Slater's here running around. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, so Kevin Reynolds, uh, director of, of that film, uh, wrote this. It was originally called Ten Soldiers, and it was a, a little bit of a, it was essentially the same, but there was a little more focused on the internal um, relationships of the Wolverines, and I think it was a little bit more conflict going on between the characters. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm glad that they didn't go that route, and they kind of had them other than a couple of instances, mostly United. Uh, so um, it was, uh, let's say the film's produced by Barry Beckerman. And when he read the script, he wanted, 
he really wanted to make this more of an art house picture, sort of like a, you know, the the French and Polish, uh, you know, war films of the of the forties and fifties, and and really very down to earth and realistic, and and I don't know, just more in touch with with reality of of what it would be like uh, to go through something like this as opposed to like a big budget action movie. So there's kind of two schools of thought there. Um, they paid $5,000 to option it, but, um, and Kevin Reynolds wanted to really make this his, his project, the one he, he directs and, and this is going to be his sort of ticket in, but they uh, Barry Beckerman and the other producers opted to, they wanted to get a more established director for a complicated story like this involving a lot of action and not give it to a first timer. So uh, they wanted something a little more in line with the Lord of the flies and, and, you know, that kind of tone. Um, in the meantime, Kevin Reynolds is uh, going off with Steven Spielberg uh, to direct a much smaller budget movie called Fandango. And if that was a hit, then he might be back in line to direct red Dawn. However, Fandango was not a hit. <laughs> and when uh, the producers went to Spielberg to see if he would give his stamp of approval for Kevin Reynolds, uh, he did not give it. So, oh. yes. So that Spielberg was... Spielberg uh, said, don't let him touch this movie. I, I think he was more, it was more the silence when, when, when asked. The non-reaction is what, mm. what did it. So. Oh boy. Don't say don't say anything at all if you don't have anything nice to say. Kind of exactly. So MGM is trying to make essentially a teen a Rambo for teens, uh, just oh. just all out action and and Barry Beckerman is trying to push for this more art house film. Uh, so I think you're going to get something sort of in the middle of that, and they turn to. Uh, they turn to John Milius, who was we just talked about him with Conan the Barbarian, which you can listen to in the archives at www.reconsimation.com. Uh, but he's just coming off of that movie, and obviously, he's showing that he can handle action movies. He um, is very, he is very much infatuated with war and weaponry, and that's we talked about it in that episode that he's. Uh, kind of a student of the game as far as military weapons goes. And uh, this seems like it would be right up his alley. Didn't he negotiate his contract that whatever his pay would be, whatever the sum of money was, but also a gun of his choice? Yes. Is that, that right? Is true. That is true. <laughs> Why not just ask for the money and then buy the gun you want? <laughs> I want to know what gun it was. I'm curious. That's, that, that's the question of the day gun of his choice yeah why buy it for yourself when you can make them buy it for you yeah yeah right so uh so he he signs on to the film and and it seems like that's a good fit but also on the board of directors for mgm is uh general alexander haig who uh -oh. was nixon's chief of staff oh boy who is for whatever reason has sort of migrated into the film industry and sees this project come across their, you know, their desk and he's very attracted to it. So he's really the one he starts to get involved creatively and, you know, shows a lot of interest in this. And, and he's starting to work with, with uh, Milius on the script and, 
really touching it up and he's pushing it in that pro America rah, rah, rah stuff. So it's, he's really shoving it in that direction and it's Milius who's pushing back on it. And I think a lot of people credit Milius as the guy who is making it the, you know, all American movie. So yeah, I, I don't mean, think that's, that's I think it's the opposite. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's easy for people who, I mean, I think it's probably easy for people to make that leap if they know anything about Milius just because he is like, I mean, you look at his track record, like with Apocalypse Now and, and Conan and, you know, things like that. Like he is very kind of, uh, what is it like testosterone injected kind of, kind of oh, director, yeah. you know? What from Conan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I mean, it's like, but you know, he's anti, isn't he anti actual war? I mean, Apocalypse Now is pretty much an anti war film, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. it's it's disguised. It, yes, I, I think that's the whole thing is that he is very anti war, but using these war stories to send that message through that, that yeah. they're all about the yeah. horrors of war. So that's what Apocalypse Now is about. Conan's kind of anti-war, right? <laughs> well, maybe that's the exception. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, violence is going to happen, I guess. You yeah. might as well look good doing it. That's what that's what that movie's about. But a lot of what they worked on together, Haig and Milius, was setting up how would this happen. So that is so that is entirely based on apparently Hitler's plan to invade the U.S. So for whatever however you know Haig had access to those plans uh but they they based it on that so come and get it adolf yeah <laughs> try it from my cold dead hands <laughs> which uh, we saw that bumper sticker in exa- the movie exactly and the guy who's dead <laughs> um i think that's a very important message yeah i agree with you so uh yeah so we talked about uh you know, Milius trying to push back on it and, and make it more of an anti-war film. Uh, eventually, Haig does kind of step back from the project. I think he just sounded like he just didn't really want to meddle in the minutia of everything and just would rather just walk away from it. He's obviously not a filmmaker. So um, the movie was, uh, was shot between November 83 and February 1984 in and around the Las Vegas, New Mexico area. So it does look like, and I, I think parts were shot in Colorado too, but uh, the majority of that whole town uh, was all in Las Vegas, New Mexico, which I don't think looks too wildly different today than it did then. No, probably cold. not. And it looks very cold there. <laughs> yes. It was quite cold. Yeah, I mean, they sh- they shot this movie in the coldest part of the year. And, yeah. you know, New Mexico winters can get, gets cold i mean it gets really? like I, it's i i read something that in the the last scene uh the finale where they're matt and jet are are attacking the town that it was like as low as negative 30 oh jesus I, and how do you work in that <laughs> like yeah, I, was yeah. say, I was gonna say i was gonna say i thought i remembered it getting down to like negative 20 or something at some point but man negative 30 i mean at a certain point, does it all just feel too cold to even be existing in? Like, what's I've 
Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I could tell the difference between negative 20 and negative 30. Like, I feel like after negative anything, it's just cold as once it, yeah. once it gets negative, that's enough. Okay. Yeah, it's too damn cold. <laughs> but um, let's, let's talk about, let's finally get around to talking about the cast. I mean, this is like an all-star eighties cast here. Uh, very early in most of their careers. Yeah, so, an all-star 80s cast of, at the time, relatively unknown people. But they all went on to really, for the most part, very successful careers. Yeah, and a lot of them would intertwine you know, with, with each other multiple times throughout their careers. And we'll, we'll yep. talk about it. But let's go through it. It's David's favorite part of the show. We're going to go through the Who's cast. Who's in the movie? And here are the 10 projects they did. <laughs> Who's up in to the movie? And after. <laughs> Let's go. No, All right. Like, I, we need to talk about the cast. They're in you the have movie. Yeah. With we this, I mean, yeah, of course. This cast? Get out of here. I mean, the, the most decorated. Well, I don't even know if decorated is the right. Decorated? The most, the most decorated. Now that we're talking military, I'm just <laughs> No, I mean Patrick Swayze, obviously. Uh, I think I think I mean I don't know what Harry Dean Stanton's cred was up to this point, but I think Patrick Swayze was the the more recognizable, like kind of youthful star power of the of the group, right? Yeah, so and, and he's he's really the the closest thing to the lead of the movie. I think it's a mm-hmm. little bit shared between some people, but he's pretty much the face of it. Um, he's coming off the outsiders, uncommon valor and Grandview USA, two of which uh, of those movies, he co-stars with C Thomas Howell. So oh, see within like That's two right. years, they're in three movies together. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I think he's the most recognizable uh, of, of all these at the time and would probably be the biggest star for the next few years, I would I would think that Charlie Sheen by the late '80s surpasses Swayze, but um, uh, then maybe that's maybe a little arguable. But uh, I don't know. How, how do you think Swayze fits here? You think do you buy him as Jed? Yeah, I do. The older yeah. brother, local hero. Yeah, yeah. local football star becomes mm-hmm. uh, leader of the Wolverines. Yeah, there's not a person in this cast who I'm not who I don't think isn't the right fit. Yeah. I think they, they nailed it with the cast. I yeah. don't think to talk about the rest of them, but it's, I think they're all great. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, I, I really think they nailed it with each of them. Oh yeah. I, I do think, you know, some of them could have warranted more screen time or more character development. I think that's, that's one I don't know if I'd say problem, but in hindsight, uh, something I probably would have spent more time on or like to have seen them spend more time on is get to know, you know, uh, Leah Thompson and Jennifer Grey a little bit more because they barely have any dialogue. Clearly, they're both great actors. So, yeah, um, well, apparently, I mean, there was some more development stuff that was done between them and like Powers Booth's character, uh, but that you know, ended up ultimately getting cut. Yeah. You know, which is what, you know, I mean, that happens all the time, but, and I don't like based off what I've heard, you know, there's some sort of blossoming relationship between which is it Leah Thompson's character or Jennifer Gray's character? Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson and, and Powers Booth. And I don't know, like maybe it's good that they cut it. Cause that seems a little, I don't know, like watching it through, I was like, is that weird that they, 
have a love interest? I, maybe. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like it yeah. She, she, she cries she, that she'll never love again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, oh my God. She's supposed to be. You have to remember that, of course, these actors are all a little bit older than the characters they're playing. She's probably supposed to be like 16. And, you know, he's a, you know, an Air Force pilot, like, right? He's like 55 years old, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was Powers Booth is a guy who was born looking 50. He's like always <laughs> looks like 50 years old. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. But uh, all right. Who else? We've got uh, C. Thomas Howell. We just mentioned. So he's yep. um, he's also coming off a movie called Tank with uh, another movie. I remember uh, seeing in the video store back at movies one him and James Garner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to get into what that movie's about, but uh you know, he seemed to be a big rising star of the eighties and he kind of disappeared to come. Like he did all these movies throughout the eighties and the hitcher. And uh, I guess we can't really talk about soul man anymore, but uh, (laughs) I don't think he wants to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, And then he kind of morphs into these, like, I don't know, C level action kind of murder movies in the nineties. And then he's just gone until very recently i believe i want to say he's on the the newest season of the walking dead he but, is um, he's a he's a hilltop resident and uh, in that yeah yeah good so good to see see thomas howell returning to uh to the screen whether it be the big or small screen but um so i i think he's his character here is one of the ones that does have an arc and has, has some kind of development. And, and I really liked his character as this kind of basically, you know, sweet kid who by the end is this, the probably the most hardened and bloodthirsty of all the Wolverines. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's fully in it. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to, he's going to become a murder machine. Yeah. You know, like, Yeah. You know, you know, he just throwing the beret on and covering his face and stuff. Like he's just like he's in it. He's a soldier. Like yeah, well, I mean, he goes from having never killed anything, right, to drinking the blood of the deer to like he's yeah. certainly drink the soul of of the you know of of the of the animal, and now it's like yeah, he's killing once long ago friends and all sorts of stuff is happening with that. Yeah, it's wild. Yep, firing rockets uh, at helicopters, and yeah, he's kind of a badass. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but that scene, that scene with the deer, uh, is—I don't know—I used to like hate that scene, and now I, I just kind of get it, and I see, you know, you see where it, it's really just setting up his character and establishing those, um, not rules, but sort of the. Uh, I don't know the bond that these guys are going to start going through together. So I think that's a really important scene for those, those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. I was a mm-hmm. huge, we've talked about this before on the show. I was a huge Charlie Sheen fan in the eighties. So yeah, uh, I, he was growing up. Matt was always my favorite Wolverine. Oh, so yeah, the, you were the bomber you were ranking- jacket. And then, ranking yeah. the Wolverines, Matt's number one. Yeah, Matt would be Matt would be number one for Matt, sure. Matt, then Jed, then Tony, then C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, 
But uh, this is really, this is Charlie Sheen's first big movie. I think he's got one or two credits before this one. And then Lucas is, I believe, right after it. Uh, But this is the first big movie. So, you know, and of course he comes from a a celebrity family. uh, Mm -hmm. But had Emilio done anything up to this point? Emilio had done The Outsiders. I think he'd done, maybe he'd done Wisdom. He's done a couple of things, but he's like hovering right around uh, about to do like St. Elmo's Fire and all the rest of the Breakfast Club and the Brat Pack films. So, Well, and do you think that he got this gig because of Milius and Apocalypse Now? And uh, That would not surprise me if that connection kind of went through there. Yeah. Mm. The Martin I mean, Sheen, Milius. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. I mean, not that not that I, I doubt it wouldn't have been long before we saw Charlie Sheen pop up. Anyway, but since since his dad was pretty popular actor at the time, but um, yeah, I wonder I wonder if that's how he got this gig. Yeah, I wonder also. Uh, could Emilio have played this character? Because Emilio, you've got a, a number of the outsiders in this movie, right? And that movie's just completed; it just been released. Could Emilio have played Matt? Or could he have played any other character in this in this movie? The thing about Matt Matt's character is that he's not Charlie Sheen isn't like shoved down your throat in this movie. He's right. he's there. He's present a lot. Uh, he's not really given a tremendous amount of just him. You know, of scenes with just him. You know, you have a couple of moments between him and him and Jed, uh, and then he's always part of the team doing these attacks. But you don't have a lot of screen time with just him. He doesn't have a lot of moments just for himself. So um, I don't know. I don't, uh, you think Emilio could have played that role? I don't know. Like, I like Emilio, but I always kind of find him to be the goofier of the of the brothers. Like, kind of, you know, he's always yeah. wisecracking and goofing around. Like, even, you know, I mean, Young Guns, Billy the Kid, he's kind of like wisecracking and... I don't know like he's just kind of like hmm. I don't he doesn't have as for me he doesn't have as much of the straight serious edge to him as Charlie Sheen does now fast forward to later on in their careers and I maybe like but at the time I don't know it's I just anytime I think of Emilio I think of Kind of Billy the Kid, I think of just kind of a goofy men at work. I mean, Charlie Sheen's in that too, though, right? And yeah, right. off yeah. together. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm the opposite though. I think I I think when Emilio plays it straight and like that brotherly love thing between him and Swayze, like I think Emilio could could have easily executed really well. What I like what's a what's a serious role that Emilio's done? Like I'm having a hard time remembering. It's been um, a while since. Yeah, well, I mean, there's parts of the Breakfast Club that are serious. You right. know, there, there's there's a, there is definitely a dramatic side to yeah, that. But the only time I think of him in that is when he's doing his dance. <laughs> like that's cheesy. Like I just like that. Those are the images of Emilio that pop in my head. Like when, yeah. when I think of, like what else? Like what is what is like what Free is, Jack? Free Jack. He's pretty good in that. <laughs> Maximum Jack. Overdrive. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I I. I don't know. I think I think I think he's I, got I think he's got chops. I think he could play the part, but like for whatever reason, like anytime I think of him, I think kind of 
a goofier kind of yeah. joking around. That makes sense, but I think I think I I I uh, I think his Breakfast Club character kind of imprinted on me first. So that, mm. when I think of Emilio, I think of him. But like so, and then all the serious stuff from that movie. Yeah. Um, so I kind of see like Emilio as as versatile as Charlie. But I think I I don't know. I kind of like the idea of I. Uh, Matt is not that much of a meaty character, but I think he could have pulled it off as being a brother who loves his brother. Um, as Ma- as Charlie. Charlie, when Charlie's serious, I don't know if I always buy it. That's why, like, even with the platoon and stuff, it's I'm like, I don't know. See, Charlie. I never watch. See, for me, I feel like a lot of people have that perspective. But did you watch a lot of Two and a Half Men? No. God, oh, see, no. neither did I. So, like, for me, like, I can't think of any. I guess, I guess, Major League. I do get some of that wry humor from him in major league you know i mean doing the doing the parody stuff with hot shots and stuff i mean charlie sheen is funny oh, that's like he's I never really, really watched those though oh yeah, hot shots and hot shots part two are unbelievably good. charlie sheen yeah. if he played if he had played his cards right could have could have been like alec baldwin on 30 rock you know if he had mm. just held his act together more he could tiger have done blood? a role like that what's tiger that blood and if he hadn't gone full tiger blood and, yeah, exactly, and yeah. all that yeah i've seen some of that two and a half men and so i mean he's if the jokes are good he's pretty good i mean he's he knows what he's doing i think he's a, i he's never a really watched guy. two and a half men but i know at the time like he was the like the hottest television actor oh, yeah. on the planet yeah we're, we're talking Up in the in- in the 2000s, yeah. the, like top two TV stars were Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> like right. like what, up until he went happening? like bananas, like he had yeah. his little episode where, you know, like it all kind of yeah. came tumbling down on him, you know, but yeah, he mm. was hot shit for sure, but I never really watched it. So yeah, I think, I think I, so I don't have a lot to pull from, from his comedy chops, like major league for sure, but I didn't really watch I wasn't really big into the slapstick kind of um, naked gun or oh, hot shots sorry type, to hear that. type comedies. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm such a I'm, I'm lame. <laughs> I'm lame great. that way. I know. I know. Everybody loves them. I'm just not one of those yeah, I get it. people. Um, so yeah, I. Uh, but I guess yeah, it's there. It's for, certainly there. So I. I st- the original question was: Could Emilio Estevez yes. play the character? The answer is yes. He could for sure. I well, think Charlie you have, you, but like, you have your doubts. I'm more yeah, of like, I, absolutely. I like Charlie Sheen in that, in that role. Yeah. But I, I lean towards the machine also because I, just on visuals, I don't think I could buy Emilio as Patrick Swayze's like younger brother. You know, they look kind of like the same age to me. Um, so I, I see Charlie Sheen kind of fits that like little brother thing better than Emilio would have. Do you, you keep in- calling Charlie Sheen the machine? Yeah. What is that? Can I get an explanation? Because you said it like four times and I'm like, who, what the fuck is the machine? What are we talking about? Like, I don't, I think, like I don't know what I'm talking about. What I think I actually got that from him. I think he referred to himself as the machine in got it. one of his crazy Man. tirades. So cool. All yeah. right. Thank you. So I, I took it and ran with it. I ran with it on our young gun show. And ever since. Very good. I was out of the loop on that, but I'm glad <laughs> that I have 
the context. Well, you know what? Sounds like you might need to go back in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com and pull that episode back out. And anyone listening, if you haven't heard that, you should do the same. Oh, I've listened to it. I've listened to it a couple of times, but it's been a while. I will admit. I will say Young Guns has is now in our top five all time uh, downloaded episodes. So exceptional, ridiculous. The- <laughs> oh, it's not a lover of the Young Guns. Yeah, you can you can listen to that episode and hear David and I argue about the merits oh, of that movie. We sure would. We sure well, as we look <laughs> as we look forward to the third one coming out somehow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, back to uh, Red Dawn. So. Uh, then we've got Leah Thompson and we've got Jennifer Grey. So both really great actresses who they're not given a tremendous amount here. Like we talked about Leah Thompson had a bigger role that was cut with her relationship with Powers Booth getting mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, cutting room floor. But uh, Jennifer Grey, you know, has very little dialogue, uh, has a number of scenes, but um yeah, just not, uh, I don't know, not not given a chance to really show what she could do. Clearly, a few years later, her and Patrick Swayze would reunite and become one of the most uh, romantic. Uh, yeah. That smoldering Couples romance. In, cinema, in cinematic history, yeah. uh, which is funny to think about because apparently they didn't, she did not like Patrick Swayze at all in this movie until I guess they reconciled at the very end, but all throughout, uh filming like they were not oh. she was she was not a fan because i guess john milius was kind of leaning on patrick swayze to be like the de facto like guide and leader for the younger actors because he did have more credibility and she was not into that like she did not want she didn't need patrick swayze telling her what to do and so that mm. rubbed her the wrong way and so she didn't she didn't really jive with him until i guess i guess the final scene her death scene like they they like when they were preparing for that and getting that all set up like they finally whatever like had a breakthrough and and it worked out and and uh their friendship outside of this movie kind of grew larger and then you see it kind of pay off in dirty dancing later on yeah well but even even on that movie which i'm sure i'm sure at some point we're going to cover dirty dancing it's a big one of the biggest movies of the 80s and uh, only if we do havana nights a double feature for sure yeah uh but even on that movie they did not get along at all uh oh really yeah there was a lot of tension between them i guess a lot of it just had to do with the dancing styles and the way they prepared and wanted to work together and and you know both had uh, had a dancing background but i think she had the harder job in dirty dancing because she has to act like she can't dance mm-hmm. when she really is a, a great dancer so whereas he's just teaching the whole time and um anyway that's a, a story for another day but yeah. yeah i think there were there were some tensions here behind the scenes as well um yeah, I would have liked to have seen both of them with a little bit more to do. Uh, yeah. I, I think they could yeah. have handled it for sure. Um, another face from the outsiders here is Darren Dalton, who plays uh, oh god, what Daryl? Yeah, the the mayor's son. So, mm. and the one who eventually uh, is somewhat of a traitor on them and and is executed. Yeah. But uh, 
I don't know what the deal was with Darren Dalton because he, I think he was really good in the outsiders. He's really good in this. And then he does like one or two other movies and it's just gone. He's another just disappeared. I don't, I never heard like, what did he just want to get out of the business or what, but seemed like he had a bright future ahead. Apparently that is not the case though. So, uh, all right, and then our other uh, our other Wolverine is Brad Savage, who just is sort of a character actor who appears in many, many, many other films after this and much smaller roles. But um, he's sort of the like, I guess, innocent one, and eventually the one of the two survivors of the Wolverines. Um, but we've got a kind of an all star older cast uh as well who all have kind of small roles that we only see briefly but uh we've got ben johnson we've got harry dean stanton we've got ron o'neill william smith is back he's a uh, john milius regular uh lane smith uh and uh the great the the great the late great frank mccray who just recently passed away as the uh school teacher and the first casualty in the film and possibly the most disturbing of the of all the deaths yes uh yeah i mean imagine you know this all this confusion and what's going on and he's just he goes out there kind of innocently like can i help you friend <laughs> like and he's just gunned down right in front of the, the students and well, then the I, students get shot yeah, it's a horror I, for sure. it's a horror show absolutely yeah. the, the let's talk about that opening scene because that that is such a shock i mean i mean especially seeing this as a kid when you know you're in i don't know i, I don't know what your guys exact like classroom settings were but i could definitely see you know that someone parachuting into my oh yeah you know, my my you know uh elementary school lawn and walking directly up to the classroom window and oh, yeah. you know our teacher getting killed and then then when you see the the kid who's been shot and like you see dead kid like hanging there in the oh, window yeah. that yeah. was really disturbing yeah it always takes me back that opening scene because in in my middle school and my high school both um we had those same kind of like heater slash air conditioning units that sat right underneath the window by the by the you know on the wall <clears throat> and so anytime i see this in there they're starting to shoot up the inside of the school and you see everybody kind of scurrying around. I see those things there and I'm like, yep, that could have happened in my school. Hmm. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, a typical American classroom uh, setting. It's, uh, y- y- and you felt safe there and you felt, uh, you know, school um, buildings built in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Weren't they all, they all were. That's just when they made them until the late nineties when they all got over, like they all got uh, makeovers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Remodels. Yeah. But that, uh, yeah, that opening was just such a shock. And there was so much to, so many little things, like you were just saying that to identify with that really connected you to just sort of into that moment, you know, mm-hmm. the little things of those classrooms and those desks and, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the chalkboard and all just that entire setting and seeing that just so violently invaded uh, was disturbing. And, and the fact that Rari, we're killing kids right in the opening scene of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Take then, no you know, pretty intense 
action scene and that desperation of them just trying to get out of there. And thank God Jed was still nearby with his truck, with his cool yeah. truck. <laughs> his cool, his cool Ford, Ford. Truck. I like, I like that he just kind of appears. Like they didn't have to show you, like, oh, he notices the paratroopers in the distance. Yeah. And he drives back to the school and he's going to, like, you know, he just, you know, it just makes sense that Jed would, would show up. <laughs> you yeah, don't need I mean, explanation. Right. I mean, I guess he would have been, you know, cut, like he drops them off and then we see them in class. So he would have been long gone by that point. But, yeah. but it's in his nature <laughs> that he would have, his first just thought lurking be, in the parking lot, like. <laughs> but it was yeah that was a a pretty pretty good sequence in terms of like the escape um that it it, the peril was really well done because it's there was just at at every shot you realize there's soldiers everywhere and kids you know kids are getting shot and people are getting run down like it was like i thought you know you almost you don't know if they're gonna make it out of there (laughs) like it's really yeah and and you get the like the chaos of that of that moment that yeah, the troopers are still landing. They're not really set up yet. So there's that window for Jed to get back in there and pick up whoever can jump in his truck. And of course, like logically with that character, the first thing he would do is go go get his younger brother. Right. So it makes sense. And that because they're not fully established yet that he could find a way out, which he did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then very quickly, like the whole town is is overrun and all the adults are being rounded up. And I like that they, um, you know, referenced going, finding all the uh, sporting goods stores and getting the names of all the gun owners and rounding those people up. I mean, that's right. a smart tactical move that they're going to take, you know, uh, you know, obviously there's no like military presence in this town, nor would there be any time soon that why not just, just get everyone, anyone who's got a gun, round them up and then we should, have this pretty well under control pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure so, the the pro Second Amendment people who are against gun registration and all that. I mean, they must have like see see what's yeah. gonna like. But I mean, more in terms of like their own government coming to take their guns. Uh, but also, yeah, you right. know, and, and then a foreign power may also try to take your guns. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean that that's the side of it that's sort of also a little bit conflicting with Milius that he's such a obviously a pro uh second amendment pro guns uh kind of guy that uh i'm sure he would be you know whatever way that people can carry their own weapons i'm sure i'm guessing he's supportive of or, or was at the time at least and you do you see that moment with the with the bumper sticker and the you know the dead the dead body like clutching the gun so yeah but like like this is exactly what is going to happen you know you're not going to be the the good guy with a gun you're going to die and then they're going to take your gun anyway yeah (laughs) exactly so (laughs) yeah but they do a good job of establishing that uh that these people are overpowered very quickly and uh, is matt and jed uh, is their dad who's harry dean stanton who welcome back to the show hds yeah uh is he the like the sheriff, like the town sheriff? I, I think there was, there was a, there was one piece of dialogue that that I, I thought kind of hinted at that. And when you see him, it looks like he might be wearing like a sheriff's jacket. You never really get a good like. I don't. I don't think. I mean, no. I feel like if he was, they would have made more of a story point about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. But he's a cop. So, 
Yeah, so I doubt it. I mean, he's, you know, it's small town USA, right? So it's, you know, like he's probably some sort of figure in the in the town, but I, you know, like I don't think, you know, I don't think he is necessarily the sheriff. Yeah. So they round up all those people. You've got, uh, you know, what becomes the Wolverines who just barely escape and they stop at what C. Thomas Howell's dad's hardware store. And that's where they stock up on all their food and weapons and canned goods and batteries and, and head off into the woods and have with no plan of what they're going to do other than just try to survive and yeah. figure out what's going on. And uh, by the time they start going back in the town or sneaking back in the town to see what's happened, you know, they realize most of the adults and certainly all the adults with any power are gone in these sort of concentration camps and and that's where they see their father harry dean stanton with his one very dramatic uh you know, scene yeah avenge me avenge me uh, i heard john Milius used to have the the young cast run like nighttime uh, raids in in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Like they would, they would. He would wake them up like in the middle of the night and have them get together and go do like little missions in the town to wow. to get them in character and and working together. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's and they were mentored and trained by uh, Captain Dale Dye, who we've seen in so yeah. many you know military related movies of the 80s and 90s right apparently the train like the military training that they went through was pretty extensive too like it was not like like it was a boot camp like that they yep. had to go through and do to get uh kind of tactic tactical training and and things like that and to just also like create a a bond in a different way with the cast that they really, they really gel as a team. I mean, mm -hmm. this is, he's the guy, I mean, you'd recognize his face, but he did this for platoon. He did this for private Ryan, uh, band of brothers. He he's like, he was the guy to train actors for military roles for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I say I, Leah and, and, uh, Jen with the gun, the, the various guns they use throughout. I mean, they look great doing it. Not, I don't mean this in this weird, like they're beautiful women doing this. I think, but them just yeah, they're be, badass. Be, being a badass soldiers, like, holy shit, like they look like they really know what they're doing. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I just, they look fantastic. Um, I just, I don't know. There was something because, and I'm just so used to never seeing them ever seeing them hold weapons like in anything they've ever done otherwise. Um, right. So well, I think it's, I think it's great. Right. Because it's like, the whole thing is like the grandfathers, like take these girls and protect them. And, and then they're like, well, F that we can protect ourselves. Like we're yeah. just as good at doing this as everybody else, you know, if not better in a lot of cases, because yeah. no one's suspecting it. And we're like able to really pull off this, this, um, these attacks, you know, flawlessly, like they're, they're really great. They're really yeah. great. Yeah, they're used well, especially Jennifer Gray is used as sort of like a decoy, it seems decoy, like yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of of their uh missions. So yeah. You know, I think like she's the one who goes right up to the soldiers and sort of plants a bomb like right inside mm -hmm. the tank. And you know, yeah. Uh, I think they're pretty badass in this movie. I mean, they don't look like and part of the part of what was so great about Dale Dye's training with these these boot camps he used to do with the cast, uh, is that they don't look like actors 
holding these weapons. They, they, it feels right. It looks like it fits them, um, that they've kind of molded a- around those weapons. So, which in a story like this, if it, they don't look right, if those actors don't look right with those guns, it, it's going to take you right out of the movie and it's, it's, and then it's over, then it's lost you and it won't, you, it won't get you back. So, mm-hmm. uh, so important. And I'm sure circling back to what you were talking about, Brent, yeah, that's no surprise that Milius would have them do these middle of the night sort of raids or, mi- yeah. you know, like mini missions that uh, yeah. you, if you really want those actors to gel together and, and really look like the, you know, by the end, the elite sort of team that they became, like it's got to be real. So, yeah. Uh, Reminds yeah. me of summer camp when me and the, me and the boys used to go raid the commissary and go <laughs> cookie dough. To dangerous work, dangerous work. <laughs> remember, all right, you know, another thing that popped in my memory, Brent, remember when we used to do paintball? Used to one time? Yeah, I remember the one time we did paintball. <laughs> we did it more than once. <laughs> I did it once. I don't know how many times you did it. I, did I wish it, I had done it. I wish I had done it more than once, but I only did it once. I think I did it maybe like a total of three times. And okay. it was fantastic. But oh, it's a blast. Yeah. It's if, a ton if, of fun for sure. I I'm pissed. See, I think you're getting it confused because I did it once and I did it with, it was like everybody, including Jake Patton. And then Jake Patton went and bought like full on Jake Patton. who's another uh, college friend of ours. who was a roommate of mine at the time, bought like a gun. He like got the whole uh-huh. year decked out. And like, he was like, I'm going to do this. And he went all the time, but I only did it that one time. It was awesome. Yeah, we had that was a particularly good, uh, good group, a good time. There was a big group of our friends what? went out and did this. Uh, we went to this, I don't know, it was like this wood, woodsy area. Yeah, where it was we a, did. I mean, it was a paintball like, like course, you know, but it was set up in the woods and it was not like, not like, uh, you know, Friday 13th part five woods, but like, but like, is it part five where they do that? I forget. Uh, six, it would be six. six yeah. Okay. Um, as the Voorhees guy, I should know that, but uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, my bad, my bad. Um, no, but it was, it was a ton of fun, dude. There was like little forts built up and there was a ravine that ran through the, the entire course for, for like a trench and yeah. it was, yeah, it was dope. Well, and the, the, the thing about paintball is that you can, you sort of get the, I guess I would say the thrill of the action without the the same element of danger of death you know like like you can get shot a million times and you're going to be fine you know yeah you're just uh, ow 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 yeah <laughs> i remember Is that something we set up through asg i forget if we set it was, that up through yeah. student government and then student yeah, government okay. we used to pay for that trip oh wow <laughs> that was dope um we i remember one moment and i'll, I'll you know segue back to red dawn here but uh a I'm not going to name the person's name, but someone who maybe I wasn't a huge fan of in college was on the opposing team. Uh, and his name was Mike. And uh, he <laughs> was up... I'm not going to name. And then <laughs> I'm not going to say last name. Listening, just let me know. And I'll, I'll smack him on the back of the head. Uh, so he was up on a hill and Brent and I were right next to each other. And we both see him up on the hill and we both aim simultaneously and fire and one of us got him right in the head and the other got him right in the heart and it wow. was like both took him out and that, that was our that was a great moment of that day i didn't That's realize a... we were such bullies 
We were. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. no mercy. <laughs> uh, no mercy I, in paintball. I've never done paintball, although I do. I I do like to recount a story of a friend of mine who did it in high school, and he had, had done paintball tons of times, and he just happened to take a paintball smacked in the middle of his naked oh. forehead. Yeah, and that's gonna hurt. He had a circle that changed color for like two and a half, three weeks. Like oh, it was, yeah. it looked crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, he just, it, it was he had just that psychedelic third eye. It was really nuts. <laughs> like it wasn't dead, dead center, but it was pretty much center. Oh, and it was goodness. a perfect circle of the bl- busted blood vessels and all that yeah. and black and blue mark. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my paintball story is someone else's trauma with a paintball. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I we should yeah. we should w- that's it. Reconsideration uh outing. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be the company retreat. Yeah, company exactly what I was thinking. The company retreat. We get Mm -hmm. all the employees, all six hundred employees. We'll divide them up into teams, and uh, the three of us will take all of them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, us versus them. We have we have paintball guns. They don't. And let's just let's go. I remember I I have used paintball grenades before. So so fine they don't work very well no they don't <laughs> they make those for the paintball is yeah they're, it's, a, a it's a rubber like well at least back then it was a rubber hose that's sort of like bent it's like if half. you cut yeah if, it's like if you uh, cut if if you gotcha. cut like an like a bicycle inner tube tire in yeah. into a section and then kind of tied it off it's it's that but they don't work for well shit. you got to pull the pin and you throw it but like it starts releasing in midair yeah, and then once yeah. it lands, it's it supposed just gets to really all splatter, and... but it just hits everything in its radius. Like, yeah, it's yeah, kind of a mess. So you end up like taking out your own team sometimes. So seems like a cheat to just spray paint everywhere. Yeah, instead of yeah. shooting anyway. But uh, all right, so so you know after after that opening, you know, and we see what's happened to the town. Then it's just the the Wolverines banding together and learning how to defend themselves and every, you know, small battle that they win, they, you know, gain confidence, but also gain weaponry. And they, you know, they're getting soon. They've got, you know, better machine guns and more ammo, and then they've got rockets. And so they're really getting quite a stockpile to the point where they can start taking out bigger, you know, not squadrons, but like going after bigger targets, you know, they go after like a jet and they go after, uh, you know, more important military leaders. So they're um, leveling they become, up. What's that? Yeah. They're leveling up. Yeah, yeah. So they're quite formidable by the end, and they have this reputation as if there's hundreds of them, and it's really only like what eight or nine of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they come across Powers Booth, who is uh, I, I think great in this role. He's also fairly early in his career. Um, he's coming off of Southern Comfort and the the Jim Jones. Was it the Guiana tragedy, the Jim Jones story? Yeah. Uh, that that was the first thing I remember seeing him in. And that is an intense TV movie. And he's very dark as that character. Yeah. But uh, and I then think power- he, I think he carried that with him throughout the rest of his career. Like, because Absolutely. that was kind of the first thing that he was seen and recognized for. And like, he's there's just kind of a, 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 uh, a gravitas to his performances all based, I think off that initial performance. Yeah. And he was so solid, you know, he's another, such a depend was such a dependable actor that 
you know, whether he's a quote unquote good guy or a villain, uh, you know, he's great as the villain in Tombstone. He's great on mm-hmm. Deadwood. Uh, he just, he was somebody, he's like Gene Hackman, you know, that, that, you know, whether the movie is great or not is one thing, but he's gonna, he's gonna turn in a good performance for sure. Yeah. So, and he does that mm-hmm. here, that as sort of that, uh, he's an air force pilot that was shot down that they kind of pick up along the way. And he's helping to kind of advise them and not just stepping in as like the leader because he's experienced. He sees that Jed is really the leader. So he's becomes more of an advisor and uh, uh, until, you know, he's uh, killed in, in battle as well, but um, a really, really good performance by him. And years later, he would play Alexander Haig in uh, Nixon. So I wonder if there was a connection there. But by this point, Alexander Haig is long, long off the project. But who knows? Maybe he, maybe he came to set. Maybe they buddied up or something. And yeah, um, we'll see. When we deep dive into Nixon, we'll get back into that. So, uh, all right. So, you know, then let's let's discuss the ending here. So one by one, we sort of start to lose the Wolverines as they, uh, I think, sort of time catches up to them, and and the odds are obviously not in their favor in most of these battles, and we lose, uh, we lose Powers Booth, we lose uh, uh, Jennifer Grey in a, in a sad, sad death. Dude, that's we, like my favorite death scene in the whole movie. Yeah, like it's a great it's scene. Sad. Yeah, she kills it. Yeah, and she takes out however many of those guys. Well, and that's the same One. battle that you lose uh, C. Thomas Howell, right? Is yeah. It the same battle? Yeah. Yeah, because the helicopters, or not the helicopters, whatever you call those uh, killing flying death machines, <laughs> uh, come to like that's when you know that like the Wolverine reputation is that massive that they're just gonna they're just yeah. gonna throw everything they got at them and uh, yeah. Well, they get set up too. I mean, they get they get right. trapped there. That you know they get lured out by that. Uh, you know, they see that uh, squadron there and they're about to attack them. And then the squadron leaves, but drops like the food. And th- there's mm-hmm. obviously that's a way to lure them out of their hot, the Wolverines out of their hiding spot. And then they, yeah. those, those death machines come in for the attack and uh, that the showdown. So, you know, it's, it's sad. We lose Jennifer gray, but we, we, the, the showdown between one of those helicopters and see Thomas Howell's classic eighties. Yeah. It's <laughs> just, the defiant you know wolverines as as he kind of throws down with this helicopter it's uh at least it it was realistic in that he got mauled as opposed to a diehard four when uh bruce willis is like fist fighting a jet so yeah (laughs) but yeah one by one we start to lose them and and then the uh, we're at the end of the film where where Matt and Jed decide to make a you know you know throw it all out there and and last ditch kind of battle against the uh, the town square and try to go right at the heart of of the the Cuban slash Russian military leadership and that's the one that gets me every time you know right when when we see William Smith kind of he's eyeing them hiding on the train and he shoots and. Charlie Sheen goes down and and uh, you get this great shootout between Patrick Swayze and and William Smith and and then you just see that that sad ending for for Jed and Matt that Jed's carrying the 
I always wondered as a kid, I'm like, is, is Matt actually dead? Is he alive? Is he like unconscious? And you, cause you see him breathing mostly cause it's mm-hmm. negative 30 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but then uh, he stops, he stops breathing and you start, you stop seeing the steam come out of yeah. his mouth. Like it's, it's well, it's, it's well executed. Like he's breathing, he's breathing. And then he dies in his arms. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, what do you think happens there? Realistically, you think they just like that, that Jed also dies there on that bench? Yeah, he took a bullet. So I'm sure he, he, he bleeds to death as well. I don't see why, Yeah, you know, I know they don't, it's not obvious, but I just, that's where they're going to end up. Yeah. And the music is uh, by Basil Polidorus, great score, by the way, and, and really kind of touching tugging at the heartstrings uh music uh, as the last time we see matt and jed and and it's sad it's like you you hear harry dean talk about them swinging on the swings at the park yeah and that's where they like end up together you know and and Mm -hmm. likely are dead but uh yeah and swayze great job in that scene i mean like you i buy that not only is he shot and wounded but they're just exhausted like they've been doing this think about that they've been their characters have been surviving the colorado winter out in the winter like alone scared but becoming these gorillas at the same time and it's just exhausting and they're they're just kids still like they're they're teenagers so yeah uh it's yeah a sad ending and then we see our survivors but um I don't know. The, the movie's got this just it really does have this negative reputation which I do understand, but do you think it warrants it? Do you think the movie as a whole is that, uh, is that really, I I think it's the perspective is, do you see this as an anti-war movie or a pro pro gun movie? What, like, what's your perspective? It's the, in the eye of the beholder, I think a little bit. I mean, I think there's, I think there are gun nuts, uh, gun fans that would be like, yeah, like this, this is the ultimate, like this is, you know, the this NRA is what it would is be like, like love fest. Like this is what it'd be like. We would stand and fight and all that and stuff, you know, and uh kind of thing, I guess. Um But I don't so. think you have to be that to enjoy the movie either, you know. True. Like, well, no, I, I enjoy it because like, I kind of like the idea of like this horrific thing that these kids are trying to survive and they ultimately mostly do not. Um, but I think it's well, I think it's in showing the horrors that would befall you know, citizens um, it put in the situation, like the, the kid's father turned him in, like, you know, like, and then they turn it, you know, and then there's this idea, like, well, should, should we just execute our ally? Cause he gave us up, like, you yeah, know, poor, the, the, poor Darren Dalton, that, that character is yeah. uh, really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like the questions of like, where, what, what, you know, like Matt saying, what separates them from us, them from us, you know, like, as though they're and like the the movie does a great job of point painting the these communists as complete savages and anti-american like you know that guy the way that 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 uh prisoner keeps cursing them out and you know isn't afraid to die mm-hmm. um uh, and all of that and it's like there's some, like i think there's something to that savagery like that maybe doesn't really play and i just don't like but you know, it's kind of, I guess it's balanced with William Smith's sort of perspective, and like you get his narrative and how he doesn't want to keep doing this, and and then he lets the the, the brothers go, and yeah, it's uh, or not William Smith. 
Ron O'Neill. Yeah. Ron O'Neill. Su- yeah. Superfly. So yeah. So so when Ron O'Neill lets them go, um, yeah, I just, uh, I like that scene. I think the scene's important with the with the, the execution scene, but like it is weird of like, well, here's this like rabid anti-American zealot, like savage essentially, and is he in the same? Is he the same as? this guy who basically had no choice and wanted to survive and wanted his family to survive or whatever. And it's the moral questioning. I think that's, that's an important scene. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's a huge moment in the movie. It's, yeah, so. And I think people forget that, that like that Ron O'Neill's character is saying a lot about, you know, again, the horrors of war. And so I think when you look at this movie, you know, when people criticize it, I think they're forgetting, you know, forgetting moments like that and characters like that, that are saying something totally against that. Yeah. 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 I agree. Like, I mean, I, I, I like this movie quite a bit and not, you know, like whether or not it's some kind of anthem for, you know, uh, conservatives or, or second amendment people or, or whatever. Like I, I hate to think that there, there's a group of people that like, will not give it any bit of a chance because of of that kind of look at it because i do think that it's just a really well executed movie i mean there's there's a lot going on there the performances are great like everything is is um the storytelling is is on point and it's you know like it's really compelling and i just feel like it's kind of a bummer that because uh one group may have rallied around it for some reason. Another group wouldn't wouldn't give it any uh, any bit of a chance. And I just think that that's kind of selling it short. Um, totally think it's worth watching. I I can't say the same for the remake, but oh, we'll get there. We're yeah, but I've oh, got. I, I do want to see that remake. <laughs> I've got. I've got. I mean. I, I'm, are we getting there now or are we no gonna... we're gonna let's let's do some you know what let's do some bo let's talk some box right. office then we'll circle around to the sequel uh all right so box office the the budget is 19 million dollars the movie comes out august 10th 1984 it comes out i uh, guess what number what what spot it was at uh opening weekend if oh david oh. David, how dare I'm going, you? I'm going almost every time, almost every time, it's never number one. It's it's uh, when any movie we cover, it's like the, the fourth or fifth best of the weekend every single time. Well, uh, right here, you got number one. Uh, oh wow, number one of the weekend. It blasts Ghostbusters uh, right out of the top spot. So, yeah. move over, Bill. Cold War. <laughs> I'm telling you, people yeah. were into it. Here comes the machine and, and Swayze. So and Ghostbuster is probably out for two months, but <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's like week six eight, months, six months. In. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is the number one of the weekend. It opened up against uh, cloak and dagger and the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. What did both, it make? Both awesome. Uh, it did. Uh, let's see. Uh, opening weekend. You know what? I actually didn't know it, how much it made that weekend, but it's total domestic run was, uh, was almost 40 million. So it's about 39 million. Um, and it ends up as uh, number 18 of the year, 1984, sandwiched right between uh, very similar films, uh, Revenge of the Nerds and Bachelor Party. Almost. Oh, identical. gosh. So <laughs> Bachelor Party. 
yeah very very like-minded films so yeah <laughs> uh yeah so if the movie's a hit i mean this does this does well now let's one other significant thing about red dawn is this new little rating called the pg-13 rating so now correct me if i'm wrong here guys the PG-13 rating was created for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, but Red Dawn was the first movie released with that rating. Is that correct, or do I have that backwards? I think for sure this was the first movie released with the with the 13 on it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's in the history books. Number one for the PG-13 is Red Dawn. Hmm. But... It was, it was, uh, yeah, which it was is interesting because I read like there was so much gore and, or gore, so much blood and massacre. Like, I mean, I think I read somewhere there was something like two and almost a quarter deaths per minute or something in the movie, which is at the time was well beyond anything else that had ever been done. And some people were up in arms thinking it should be you know, rated X, not, not just PG 13, but rated rated X because of, because of the violence and the death toll. But to think that this is, I mean, do you think that would it be PG 13 these days with, if if it was, if it was setting that record? I don't, I don't think so. No, it would be, this would be, this is a hard R now. Yeah. Hence going back to summer camp and seeing it with a bunch of (laughs) Yeah. Seven-year-olds just still is a little mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, just for the opening scene, it should be R. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, all right, so my question is this. In the 80s, there's a little thing called Nintendo, right? Nintendo comes out with video game tie-ins to every movie that came out, especially every action movie. Um, I wonder... Now, I know this was a little bit ahead of that, but... Could you have made a really great uh, Red Dawn video game? Sure, I think you absolutely could have. Sure, I mean they made they made a video game called Russian Attack. Sure, but right. you're playing which, which, as... which they then changed the name to Rush and, and Attack. attack yeah. <laughs> oh, I have that game. So did I. Yeah, but you're playing as military in that, aren't you? You're playing as. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely not. It's it's certainly not um, uh, based on on Red Dawn at all. Yeah, but were I mean were there really video? I mean, this I think you said it. Like, this is, is a little early. Yeah, yeah this is because I, I think it the was, first. Yeah. I mean, wasn't the first really big video game tie-in ET? And we all know that that was a big right. That was Atari. for Atari. Yeah. And so, but when was that? Because I think. I think the tie-in to movies was probably something that they were all a little intimidated by based off the failure of E.T. Well, like, I think I think, you know, I think when Nintendo actually started doing it was more like 87, 88 was when they Jaws. were starting. Yeah, Jaws, Predator, uh, you know, all the Batman Ram- uh, games. The they, which- had a Ram- they had a Rambo game, which was based on First Blood Part 2, I think. Part 2, yeah. You had fr- Friday It was 13th. called Rambo. Yep. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Friday the Thirteenth, the Goonies Nightmare on Elm Street two, game. Goonies they two. A, they had a, a Goonies two. I played on PC. Oh, yeah. I don't know. They had uh, a. Wait, did you say? 
uh, Nightmare on Elm Street game? Yeah, there was a Nightmare on Elm Street game too that I Man, I missed that one too. Top Gun. Uh, that one, yeah. Yeah. That was so impossible. That was impossible. You can't land that fucking thing. <laughs> Still mad about it. Can't land it. Don't know how. Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Had this come out a few years later, I think you definitely would have seen that. You could have had yeah, a maybe. cool game. You could do a freaking red dawn game now i mean look at the you know the the predator video game that came out and you know like yeah. star wars battlefront that you could definitely do a uh play as matt play as jed i bet i bet if there was like one significant like movie star attached to this because i mean patrick swayze wasn't quite there yet none right. of none of the others were but if they had one significant movie star or if this like you said this movie had been made just a couple years later and all these people had risen to to stardom then yeah they probably definitely would have been ahead of the curve doing the doing the video game but at the yeah, time probably. there was nothing that really guaranteed that this movie was going to be successful right well you know what you could have done you change out powers booth for stallone and there's your star even and and he still wouldn't necessarily like steal the spotlight of the movie away that yeah but would stallone have done i mean no. that that kind of that kind of gag is something that people do these days but not in the 80s big stars didn't come in for little cameos did they you know who would have been great and because also they weren't quite at that star level yet kurt russell you know boy. who was good in the role though powers, powers booth, booth. <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right all right powers you can keep it all right that's fine um all right. So then years later, what was it? 2013, 14, 12, something like that. We get uh, the Red Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. The Red Dawn remake, which I was opposed to from the beginning because this is around that time that we're getting like Karate Kid remakes and mm -hmm. uh, I think Magnificent Seven and, and just all these things that you're just you're barking up the wrong tree you're never gonna outdo the original so you know this was i i think the 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 uh attacking uh country was china originally and then there was a fear of what the you know if there would be a retaliation for that so they changed it to korea right to north korea oh, yeah. Yeah. uh mm -hmm. all done in post you know they just changed the symbols and changed some of the dialogue so um, well, right. Like, I think that's the, th so I don't actually hate the 2012 remake, but there are some pretty big issues with it. Most of them, I think revolve around the fact that there was a lot of start and stop and, and fix it in post going on. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of Josh Peck as an actor, and I don't think that he's really great in this, but they're, they're, are obvious time lapses from when they shot some of it to, to other parts. I mean, he looks about 45 just in general, <laughs> which is way too old for the character, but there's like scenes where his hair is obviously a wig and it's just like every, like it just, unfortunately, whatever kind of production issues they were having with the movie, like ultimately really pull you out of it when you're when you're watching it and mm. so that's that's my biggest gripe against it. i actually don't think it's that bad of a of a remake other than the fact that they've shot themselves in the foot like 
a hundred different times because of because of production issues. Mm. Yeah, I I felt like the story was really incohesive, and the, I thought the dialogue was just not good. Um, and on top was of that all that, Josh Peck. Let's yeah, yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, like I don't want to hate on the kid, but like he's pretty bad in this. I I, I think the movie was miscast almost top to bottom. I mean, maybe you know Hemsworth is Jed. I like Hems- okay, I like but- Hemsworth. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's sort, certainly proven himself afterwards that he can handle action and and he's got personality. But yeah. the rest of the cast, no, I, I just think that was miscast. I don't mind, all I don't of mind them. Hut- Hutcherson too much, but like, aside from those two, like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's Josh Peck. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah from like um, Josh and Drake. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. come on. And, and he's just... Yeah, it, you're right. It's it's pretty miscast. I don't mind the Hutcherson kid though, but I I don't but, mind him as an actor, but I don't I do mind him in this movie. So I would have gone a totally different route. I can't say off the top of my head who I would cast in place of those guys, but I feel like there are better actors, more suited for these kind of roles uh, out there. All the people from the Star Trek remake, Chris Pine and all, and they should have just done the redone. Oh yeah, remake. Just yeah. put the whole cast. Just yeah. Yeah, it's planet. I mean, like using Connor Cruz, like that's just like a name. That's like a name grab. Who's Connor hey, Cruz? It's Tom Cruise's kid. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> okay. And and like that's that's the big poll. <laughs> They're gonna I mean, sell it's it. weird, right? Like he's he hasn't he's done two things. I don't even know who that guy is. Yeah. You got Adrian it. Adrian Pilecki was coming off of people thinking that she had a lot of talent because of. Friday Night Lights, which yeah. is a great TV show, but she's she's had a hard time making it making it work. Well, she was she was famously like, almost Wonder Woman. You know, they did this. She was pilot. famously almost Wonder Woman. Funny story. So before that got canned, so there's a there's a park in Burbank called McCambridge Park. Um, she was actually out in the middle of McCambridge Park with a, like a a martial arts trainer, like practicing different like skill moves and stuff for the for the role. And it was like it was very interesting. She had her her hair was all dark and ready, and it was like I was like, dude, I just had been watching all the like Friday Night Lights on Netflix, and I was <laughs> very familiar with who she was. I was like. Why is she out here doing all this like fight simulation stuff? And then found out, you know, it was probably three weeks later, found out that uh, Wonder Woman was getting, was going to get done and then getting shelved. Yeah. Yeah. What could have been? Well, she's very good in the Orville on Fox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's fair. I I do like her. Yeah. She's she's done good stuff. This this one, I think she was, you know, this one is like she still hadn't really found her groove. Like she had a great thing going with Friday Night Lights, but there were a lot of misses right after that where she was yeah. trying to kind of find her find her rhythm. Got it. Yeah. But she's good. She's talented. I think she would have been a great Wonder Woman. Yeah, I think it would have worked too. Maybe, maybe, well, probably never gonna see that. So yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. The stars didn't really align here for the Red Dawn remake and um yeah it was not successful it was in any way shape or form so 
that's sort of the the I think the end of the Red Dawn. I, I don't know. I franchise? Mean, I guess, well, not, not a franchise, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you could, maybe down the road, uh, another remake could be attempted, but it's just not necessary because Jeffrey Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he was good in it. Yeah, he was the Powers Booth role, he right? Was the Powers Booth character. Yeah, and it looks exactly like him. That's so funny. That's where that was. I the whole time we've been sitting here talking about Powers Booth, I was like, you know. Jeffrey Dean Morgan reminds me of Powers Booth a lot. That, like his, his like good character acting. And it's like, oh yeah, that's because he played the character. Well, and, and now he's working with C. Thomas Howell. So it all circles back to Red Dawn. Oh, see. Is he? I stopped watching The Walking Dead. Is Negan still around? Like, yeah, I, got I think so. so. I stopped oh. too, but I, I think he's still around there. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So what do we think, guys? Do we think Red Dawn does it hold up in... 2021 yay or nay or is it not a black and white answer like that i mean there's a lot of things that it's sort of connected to that are uh just not not sort of present anymore i don't know or is it even more relevant now than it was then you just replace a couple of the of the faces on on the on the characters right like instead of it being communism is it you know our own federal government you know i mean it's just like there's so much that could still be relatable i don't know i i still like the movie quite a bit like i like it from back then to now for different reasons but yeah i think it's i think it holds up for me yeah i i think uh i i would say it holds up for me too um it is it a perfect movie no are there flaws sure uh but i now I see it's that I don't know, sort of like duality of it, of this, of this, you know, pro gun movement, but also this anti-war film, the anti-war stuff speaks much more loudly to me than the, the pro guns, uh, you know, side of it does. So that's sort of the side that I lean on that. uh, I, I think it does, you know, speaks out against, you know, or just trying to show you like, this is what war would really be like, you know, if something like this happened. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I still really love it. Yeah. For me, like, even if you like take all the political stuff aside, just like sitting down to watch the movie, like I find it incredibly entertaining. Like I, I enjoy it a lot. I, I mean, I, you know, like I, I tend to like movies like this though. Right. Like I like Mm -hmm. taps. I like, Toy Soldiers is another one that's like this. It's like Taps meets Red Dawn. Yeah. Not, oh, not Toy the, Soldiers. That's gonna be yeah. good shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Toy Soldiers. Yeah, with Sean Astin. You know, like yeah. yeah. Like it's this. It's you know, it's like those kind of like movies for whatever reason. Like I still really enjoy. You know, and so this one is right there with them. If not, you know, the kind of the cream of the crop as far as they're concerned. But I, you know, they're all fine by me i'll sit yeah. down and watch them is that yeah. is, is fine by me like the the sequel to stand by me yes kind <laughs> <Okay>. of. <laughs> yeah this movie you know this movie's fine like uh, yeah I, I get it i think uh is it i mean holding up i mean yeah it's 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 it doesn't get too political so it doesn't really you know like you could swap out elements and sort of try to just tell a story like this that's you know, anti-war, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's not, I think, yeah, I think, I think you could 
you could view this at different times and just sort of insert what you need for it to like be relevant. So uh, it, I don't think it's too dated in that sense. I mean, it's, it's, it, it plays on that cold war fear, but I don't know. Yeah. There's, a, there's always a boogeyman. So um, I think that's the point right. um, with this. So yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I was happy to have watched it again. You just said something that stuck out to me. Is it a product of its time? Is it a product really of the eighties or can it fit in? You know, I mean, is, is, could somebody like ISIS do this instead of the Russians or could it now be well, that's the, a Russians different story. Are, the Russians are back as our threat? Apparently, um, you know, could they do this again now that they've uh, been plotting the last like 30 years? So. Oh, I, I think the Russians would love nothing more than to to eventually have a, a armed forces uh, invade America, um, but uh, it's less likely these days than it was back in the day. Right, it's, yeah. it's not so black and white and easy like it. You know, not like so I said, forward. it's this pay, plays a little bit more on the fears of the Cold War um, to 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 tell this story. But like I said, there's also there's always a boogeyman. So you know, it doesn't. I don't think it it's very eighties and it's, it's angle, but, and it's execution, you can pretty much put it anytime. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's a, a straight eighties film, but the yeah. subject matters eighties. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it plays like it's in a, in yeah. a not too alternate universe kind of apocalyptic survivalist type film scenario. Like, yeah. It's yeah. uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 back in 10, 15 years ago or whatever the hell. Uh, right. That was about part of the storyline that you, you know, you're playing military characters or whatever. Um, you, but you're in a, an American suburb eventually because the Koreans have invaded America and then you're there and then you got to, oh, and then you got to fight and save the, the, the White House is bombed and it's a war zone and you're, you're going through the White House and the Washington <laughs> Monument and, uh, you know, so it is like, and then there's just patriotic music playing the whole time while you're fighting your way <laughs> oh, through. No. It's I played, crazy. <laughs> I played, I played a little bit of infinite war today. Oh, not yeah. that I'm not that I play a lot of video games or call of duty, but there was a free download and the go. family was out of the house. So I was like, let's, let's see what the big deal is. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Oh, but, uh, no, like the, the, it was it the, that when I watched red down the first time, it, it called to mind for me playing that one specific call of duty years ago where it's like you're in i think it's uh modern warfare 2 i think is got the invasion of america and then like on current systems they redid modern warfare but so but this was the three xbox 360 version or the playstation 3 version or whatever um Hmm. all right so so what would we, uh, Brent, let's start with you. On our Reconsina scale, 1 to 10, where do you rate the film? 1 to 10? Yeah. Didn't we used to go to 13? Yeah, we, we stopped that a while we ago. We stopped that a long time ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> did we? All right. We did. I have to go back and change all my scores prior. To- <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1 to 10 as far as it holds up uh, watching it from today's perspective. I don't know. I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible for me to pull, you know, it's like, I can't do that because 
I'd like to be able to, but at the same time, like I saw this movie so many times as a kid, like I was saying, like I used to play in the backyard with the neighbors, you know, like that we were the Wolverines with our little toy guns running around and, you know, out of the people's yards. Like I just, you know, I mean, I, it's going to be impossible for me to, to pull all that out. So I, I think for me though, like, it's a solid 6.7. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I was going to be like, all right, whatever Brent says, I got to have to drop it down like a point and a half. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that's fair. You know, I mean, like it's yeah. six. I'm, I mean, it can't be a 10, you know, like it's, it's not no going to be a 10. It's not going to, you know, like I, I, I think that there are flaws with the movie, but I think overall, like I have a lot of, um, fond history with it so i mean sure it, yeah I, I think six seven is good yeah i'm so, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. for me it's like a 5.2 then yeah i mean it's like not i, I don't have an affection for it i, I think it's mm-hmm. it's a fine movie it, it's well executed it's uh it's i think if you're at all drawn to any of this subject matter i think you can have a good time because it's a solid story but yeah it's not really for me um otherwise i didn't grow up with it so it doesn't really like resonate yeah, you just you're just more looking for uh, curved bullets, right? Is oh, that what's that's some dope shit? That is awesome. <laughs> Give me, I, like I said, I like stylized violence. I don't yeah, like yeah. I don't like straight up murder, right? Um, and killing. It's not. I don't like any of that. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go higher. Uh, I, it still ranks pretty high for me. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm not gonna go as high as I used to go with it. I'm gonna go like seven point eight. For oh, me. Wow. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That uh I, I think the movie's still entertaining. I think it still works as a story. I think it still has a message to say. Um yeah, yeah. it's not a perfect film though. It's uh, there's a couple things that I wish they had done differently. Um, so that's it's gonna go seven point eight for me. So that what's what's the average here? It's probably right like six point five ish, I I think between right. the three of us. So yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's not fair. Bad. Yeah. Sounds good. But uh, all right, good. Well, uh, that is our review of Red Dawn. Uh, we hope uh, everybody here has a safe Independence Day and, and that uh, thank you for joining us in, in our look back at uh, Red, 1984's Red Dawn. Um, quick shout out and thank you to our friends, E.K. Wimmer, for the brand new theme song that we're loving so much around here. We just we're playing it in the office nonstop. 24 it's the seven. jam. It's like the elevator music of the whatever 80s and 90s. That's what plays here at Recon <laughs> Cinema Studios. Um, and don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves, anywhere you listen to, to podcasts. Uh, and a thank you to our friend Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual. Uh, always great to see his artwork now adorning the halls of the hallowed halls of Recon Cinema Studios. Uh, okay, and then don't forget to check us out on our social media. We're at Reconsimation Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can check out any of our archives and all the films that we've covered in the previous three seasons at www.reconsimation.com and drop us a rating and review on what is it? Apple Podcasts now? I, I can't mm-hmm. keep up with it. So, yeah, any, yeah, Stitcher, Podbean, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, Drop us a, a rating there. Really helps the uh, viewership, listenership of of the show. So, uh, all right, stay tuned, guys, because we've got a loaded summer lineup here. 
you you guys can't even, you don't even know what's coming your way. We're going to be throwing you curveballs left and right. It's going to be so exciting. Uh, next week, we're really trying for something special in our next episode with a special guest. I won't say more than that. There's your tease, but it's going to be amazing. So here we go. Uh, here we Let go. The summer fun begin. Yep. Yep. Uh, it was going to be, you know, a summer of action. And I think we, I, I threw a curveball in the lineup. So, you know, it, it, we'll shift gears a little bit here and there. But stay tuned, guys, because I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, we will see you next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. <laughs>